you get the open double gory, son. Double gory, son. And dude, I almost got screwed over today because of that. And So I think that we we got a little Commander Cast connection there. It's tenuous. Tenuous at best. And welcome to Commander Cast episode 251, where you're a weekly source for community, strategy, and technology, hosted on mtgcast.com and our home site, commandercast.com. We're recording this on June 23rd, 2016, and this is the fabled episode 251. I know it's been a while, guys, but there's been... I've had kind of an epic and a half for the past two or three weeks, give or take a few. But you know what? We're back, and we're <laughs> right on. Although 250 would have been a... I mean, that's a nice round number to end on. Yeah. But nope, we're here, we're back, and I've as always I've got my perennial co-host, Calvin. How are you doing today, sir? Hey, everybody. This is Calvin. I'm also known as Captain Red Zone around the internet. For any of you individuals out there who happen to be interested or wondering about who I am and what I do, I play aggressive decks. I happen to play red and white combined into the Boros decks. I love to throw fireballs at people, hit people in the face with lightning bolts, and bring life totals down as quickly as possible. Now, this is episode 251, which means that we've actually gotten to the point now where I guess we kind of have to do at least like 25 more episodes or so, because who wants to end a show on 251? Yeah. I don't know how with them. I want to do well, that. I mean, 270, like, we were... 275 is kind of awkward, too, though. I mean, yeah, 256 still. has some uh, has some sort of, like, coding reference you could put in there. Wait, really? So we got to end on episode 407. Error. No, no, that would be, like, still, still not 256. No, because yeah, you're right. It's in bytes. All right. So that other question here is our other Caproni co-host, Clay, the Commander Panda. How are you doing today, sir? I am doing well doing well and then we also have the return of mark mark it's been forever almost literally forever it has almost literally been eons and eons but i have returned you have returned we got the full crew back yeah so let's see how long that lasts at some point one of us is going to end up dropping out again i just know it but that is neither here nor there so guys let's go ahead and start this off and mark since you're more or less a Fresh face for people who have who are just listening to us. Favorite commander this week and why? My favorite commander this week, I thoroughly blame on Aaron and Eric and the stack because they started talking about creatureless decks, and then I wanted to bring up creatureless deck is the one thing I've never done. So I tried to do like creatureless Grixis deck, but I didn't want to be that mean. So then I settled on Angus McKenzie because I. <laughs> And it also worked out because we're going to be talking about fogs today. So I picked the fog general. Nice. All right. Actually, wait. So what's the win con if it's creatureless? Um, yeah, that's the problem. (laughs) (laughs) Having a win con that's not just Helix Pinnacle uh, is kind of a pain in the ass. I think I want to do, like, the steal other people's creatures type route. Like, I think I might do that. Or there's also a bunch of other, like... like it's an it's kind of, it started off as like an enchantress build, but then I'm like, eh, enchantress that you do kind of any kind of enchant like Bant enchantress isn't exciting, so I want to put that extra little staple on top of it. But there's a bunch of like really stupid like hidden enchantments, like literally the first word is hidden, like I don't know, hidden gorillas, hidden I don't know, hidden elephants, hidden whatever. Like just do a search for hidden, you'll find them. Like a bunch of enchantments that become other things. So like that and and like big high mana cost enchantments and opalescence. We 
that kind of reminds me of the Noyan Dart deck I took took apart. I'm gonna rebuild that as creatureless as I can. But I pretty sure I've got at least five people at the store that hate me whenever I play that deck because it's just so slow. <laughs> like it gets to the, like it's a great deck to play when you're you know you're playing in a pod that's bigger than four people because it forces you to pay attention to what everyone else is doing. But at the same time, when it gets down to like two or three people, you know they're so focused on you because you're stopping them from winning. But you have to keep them from winning because they're trying to kill you. So you're trying to not die. And it takes up your entire turn. So you basically end up stalling out until you have enough lands to build your board and keep them from killing you at the same time. They just hate that. <sighs> yeah, I'm trying not to make it like Angus Giant Pillow Fort, but we'll see, I guess. But it's going to be Angus Giant Pillow Fort. It's hard not to have fun, man. Yeah, man, come on. All he does is fog. That's what he does. You know, and his goddamn name is Angus. Angus McKenzie. Hello, pretty sweet name. Going for that. Yeah. All right then. So Clay, who's your favorite commander this week? Uh, well, I've been playing a lot of Chandra Fire of Kaladesh, um, which is a one-on-one Frenchless deck that I've just been playing in multiplayer, and it hasn't actually been doing that badly. Mostly just controlling the board by blowing things up, and then people kill me. So sometimes, sometimes funny stuff happens. Um, I also put Tristani Celestia's voice down there because we figured out last night what my next deck building challenge will be. Um, I am actually working FNM tomorrow night for the first time in a long time. I'm going to take exactly my comp from that and build a deck using that as my budget. Really? So a new thing on FNM I, Hero. Yes. Um, and I figure Green White Tokens has a lot of really cheap stuff, and I've wanted to build a super budget Tristani deck for a while, and this is just an excuse to do it. It's also an excuse to play Spore Mound with Life and Limb, which I've always wanted to do. Yeah. There Spore- you go. Actually, I really like Spore Mound just in general. And I saw a plus re- Life and Limb, it just goes infinite, and then I need to find a way to stop that so that the game is not just a draw. The last time I was recording Avacyn, I saw a really cool Tristani blue deck. Now, I've talked to the guys since then, and you know, it wasn't really, you know, Tristani isn't really the focus on the deck, but it's really cool in that there's a lot of, you know, blue token cloning effects. Um, Tristani. Yeah, Tristani Blue, because the commander is actually Rune. Oh, okay. Yeah, so there's like a... That makes more sense. A supplement form, uh, that one with flashback, I can't remember what it's called. So, mm. it's got a bunch of stuff like that, and the Tristani can actually populate the clones. And one of the cool things that you can do with that is you can, you know, do it with the Voice of Resurgence. So you start making copies of Voice of Resurgence tokens, and then when they all die, they make actual Star Star tokens. Voice of Resurgence is going to be way out of my budget for this one. Yeah. We're looking at 20 maybe $30 max but, for the entire deck, excluding basic lands. Cackling Counterpart, that's what it is. But when you yes. keep in mind that ca- stuff like Cackling Counterpart and Slint Form are like dollar wares at most, that's actually yeah. a really cool deck. And it's like, something that I should probably consider. I considered doing like all commons and uncommons. But then I realized that there are a lot of commons and uncommons that are more expensive than rares that I would also put in the deck. So I think it's just going to be, we're going to see if I can get everything within this budget. Actually, okay, so that'll be really cool. Keep us posted next time we get together. Yeah, definitely will. And I'll definitely type up the final list on Tapped Out. Sweet! With the budget. All right, then. So people can see it. So Calvin, Green White Tokens is like my favorite thing. <laughs> so Calvin, who's your favorite commander this week? Alright, so my favorite commander for this week is going to be Ashley the Pilgrim. No, not just because she's my default. No, not just because it's the commander that I always end up bringing up. But I actually have somewhat of a valid reason for bringing it up this week. Shocker. Recently, I was asked to be a part of Forge Herald 
five question segment. And I believe it's all for And, you know, I went ahead and replied to their question. And one of the questions they asked was asking me about a particular commander that I would want to play continuously if I only had to choose one particular commander for about, let's say, a month or so. And my choice was Ashling because it's the commander that I love the most. And it's a commander that I feel I could actually play for 30 days without getting sick and tired. So if you want to see what the other five, what, what the other four of the five questions were and my responses to those, feel free. Go ahead over to the site. It'll be up. It should be going up live on Tuesday, June 28th, I believe is the date that they gave me. So if that's the case, go right ahead, check it out. And if not, I'm pretty sure you can always just check back and they have other articles you can also read there as well. And that's all. Yeah. All right. So that's good. Now, me. Nice friendly plug for other sites that assisted me doing something to keep me active during my two-week off of going insane in the house, staring at walls. So are, many walls. How are the walls, Calvin? They're still white. So, the other thing no that's... No matter how much I concentrate, I can't change their colors. So, another thing that's white and black and red... That's yeah, racist, you bastard. No, it's not. It's just call you. Oh, I'll accept it. So, the other... So, my big project has been rebuilding all of my commander decks because, you know, I've talked about it on the show before. It's gotten to the point where they're either really out of date or I've been messing with them so much without actually playing them that they've just gotten horrible. And with Kalia, I didn't really take her apart, but when I tried playing her after an initial tune-up, I just realized how much I hated, you know, the way... You know, a lot of people typically build Kalia. It's a lot of burden on her to get out a lot of the really popular big cards like Iona and really and uh the first Redemption Avacyn, Gisela, stuff like that. And I thought, God, I hate this so much. When Kali's not out there, the deck just folds. There's too many big things that stuck in my hand and I don't feel like I'm doing anything. Now, with that same deck, I was having fun with it later because when I was able to actually, you know, get her to stick and she could start getting stuff out in the field. What I did after that was I went to the deck and I basically just rebuilt it from scratch. I never really took it apart, but I, I started, you know, laying stuff out. Okay, what are the things I w- want this deck to do? And, you know, I just started pulling cards out from that and cards out from my collection that did those jobs. So this is a brand new edition of Kali that I've been messing around with. The list isn't necessarily up to death. I've cut a couple cards to put some mana rocks back in, like the Signets. But I really like how this deck is playing now. And one of the things that, you know, people have commented on is that it's missing a lot of the hallmarks of a Kali deck. Like it no longer has the first Avacyn. It no longer has a Gisela or a Runescar Demon or Lord of the Void or anything like that. And I'm really liking how it plays. It's a lot more, it feels a lot more aggressive. It feels closer to what I actually did want to be doing with Kalia. And I had a little bit of that before, before I started messing with the lists without playing it. But without the, but it, but it feels like it has more punch. It feels like it has more cohesion. There's a lot more protection for Kalia for her equipment. Well, you know, one of the uh, the real tech options that I really like that I got from my Noyandar deck was Apostles Blessing because people always go for the boots, they always go for the swords, and it doubles for protection for Kalia. And because it could be paid for with colorless, it really doesn't matter what mana you have to leave open because you just leave a mana open to protect her. You know, I've got stuff like Mom, the uh, the Mother Runes, Eight and a Half Tails, a lot more stuff just to build around Kali the Protector. That's also good for protecting big threats. You know, as much as, you know, I might disagree with Eric on a lot, uh, you know, Grandpa Growth on, you know, just some commander theories as to what's fun, what's not, you know, what's opt- optimal and what isn't. There were a couple of things that he said that stuck with me, you know, and that was protecting my big threats. Protecting, you know, the Balefire Dragon, protecting the demons, protecting a lot of my creatures 
And that's a part of what I was going for with some of this was, you know, grabbing stuff that would, you know, protect Kalia, but would also protect some of the other stuff. And I get to play with a couple of really cool cards. Like, I got the Sunscorch region in there, which, if you remember, that was our previous <laughs> card for Dragons of Tarkir. And he's in there because he gains life. He comes down cheap, he gains life, and he's actually been a lot of fun. I get to play Kothapet. It's really big. It gets really, really big, you're right. And I'm actually playing Kothapet in this deck, and after playing a few games... I'm actually really happy with him. Like, this is the closest thing to a Grizzlebrand the deck has had since Grizzlebrand. <laughs> In fact, the the deck was built around just two principles. One, that I'm going to cannibalize my life. That's o- the way I've always played Kalia. Between stuff like Hall of the Banded Lord and Phyrexian Reclamation and all and all that, I needed a million ways to get life. And Kothapet just kind of fed into that of being a card that I needed to replenish myself. So then I also had stuff like the Whip of Erebos, which... The combination between Whip of Erebus and Phyrexian Reclamation has won me way too many games. Those cards should not be on the field together. And if they try and go for the Whip, I still have my Apostle's Blessing. So I've actually got the list for the new Kalia build in the show notes. If you guys want to go ahead and take a look at that and let me know what you think, go ahead and uh, send me a tweet or a message or comments in the episode itself. <sighs> actually, if any of you have looked at that link, tell me what you think. Because I was actually... Uh, oh my gosh, yeah. I've actually got water over here, so I don't need to leave to get it. That didn't rhyme. No, it didn't. No, it did not. Nope. Not in the slightest. But, Clay, I know you... But, Clay, you're at, a, you're at a desktop. What do you think? The what now? Clay, you're at a desktop. What do you think? Because I put the uh, the link to the deck in the chat. Oh. Let's see. I like the name. We'll at least start with that. Appreciate eight and a half tails right off the bat. It always catches my eye. Also gives me the flexibility to, to use Cabinet Souls to name Cleric. True. You got some Ryusei going on, man. Yeah, it was actually really cool because I forgot that Ryusei dealt 5 to all non-flyers when he died. So when I ram him into someone to kill him, you know, they blocked and they killed him. And he dealt 5 to everything, and so... Kalia doesn't die. Yeah, Kalia doesn't die. And I had the, uh, the Scourge of the Care Ridges out. And someone had a bunch of Sliver tokens, so I paid 2 to wipe out the tokens. And it incidentally killed his, his, uh, his Sliver Queen because I forgot that she had 5 damage from the Ryusei. Very sweet. I like it. It's a somewhat subdued Kalia deck. I wouldn't even say it's subdued, it's just... But it's still capable of really dumb things. Yeah, it's still capable of dumb things. It still feels powerful, but at the same time... It's playing a lot of B-list cards. It's playing a lot of B-list cards that actually pull weight in different ways than the other cards did. Like, cards like Gisela and Avacyn are just straight power, but they kind of get stuck in your hand and they don't do a whole lot than not being cheated on the play. These creatures can be played by hand if they need to be, but they also pull other jobs. That was one of the, the stipulations was that every that was that I wasn't looking for specific angels, demons, or dragons to play so much. I was looking for you know slots for card draw, and I just happened to pull out angels, demons, or, or dragons that drew me cards. Which hey, that's what Kothafet does. Kothafet does do that, especially if you have a Ryuse to explode the board. And you have a uh, a whip of Erebus, too. Because even though you're not getting the life, you know, just beating people to death with life fingers helps cushion that life total. And I even got to do the uh, the Erebos, uh, uh, what was it? The, uh, uh, can't remember, that angel that reset your life total. Which angel was that? Uh, Resolute Archangel. Yeah, Resolute Archangel. I got to do the draw four cards with Erebos with Resolute Archangel Trigon stack. Yep, so that was really sweet, and that's also some of the, how some of the games went that I did at GP Cleveland, which, that was not as 
fun as it could have been, because I didn't really go with friends. But I did get to meet with a couple of people. I get to meet with Norb, which you, which, uh, you listeners might know from the Twitters. He's the guy who's always all about them burbs. And I got to meet up with MT, with the uh, MTGO Ferrets, who you guys might, may or may not remember from the uh, the Heavy Metal podcast. Whew. I did also have a chance to take a picture with Sprankle, but I didn't do it. Because I was just not... Scared? Ah, less scared, more embarrassed. Let's just say I wasn't feeling quite myself that day. Why would you be embarrassed to meet Kristen and Sprinkle? What have you done? Well, we can talk about it in the dangles. Dangle, dangle. All right. Dangle. All right, then. So that does it for the Fair Commanders this week. And, of course, guys, if you want to comment on any of the shows, the topics that we do, we, in fact, have a, what what, what would you call it, a discussion board, a message thing for that discus WordPress slot thing? You, you can leave comments below the show. You got some hit comment us. section? Com- it's a comment section, yeah, but it's like, it's weird. I don't know. Section where comment, you comment. comment discussion board section center. I guess. That's what I'm going with. Alright guys, so you can go ahead and also hit us up on the Twitters, on the email, on the Facebooks, all those great things. You can also hit us up on the Patreon, where we are doing our first monthly Patron's Choice episode. These are all topics that you guys on Patreon voted for. Minimal participation, but just enough to get us by. And this is for everyone who has donated at least $3 a month. You guys can go ahead and help us pick episodes with topics that you guys want to hear about. So we're going to go ahead, and we're going to go ahead and take care of that. So guys, first thing we're going to go do, we're going to go into our community segment, and this one's about lobotomy effects. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. See there? William takes two weeks off, and he forgets to, you know, talk about the tip. No, do not forget about the tip. Yeah, totally forgot about the tip. Alright then, guys. For our first Patron's Choice community segment, we want to go ahead and talk about lobotomy effects. Going into someone's deck and just popping something out of there. Sending it straight to exile, maybe even to graveyard, and something like that. And this was actually brought up in the strategy vote, but given what the the, uh, the community vote ended up being, I thought it was better to just go ahead and swap these around. Because then it also asks the question of, is it okay to, ru- to run these? Guys, is there like a stigma or something about, you know, reaching over into someone's deck and then just taking something out? Like, is, is that a taboo I wasn't aware of? Well, just, uh, so when, we're, when we're talking about that, you're talking about like, uh, when you mean lobotomy, you mean like going in and taking out a specific card? Or do you mean like playing a specific card that like kills the whole deck and leaves it just kind of like drooling? Well, that's more or less what I mean. Like that's part of what you can do with a lobotomy effect. Like Sadistic Sacrament is a triple black. Hey, you can go ahead and grab, what was it, three cards? But then if you kick it... Three cards. Yeah, three cards. But if you kick it for an additional seven, you can take out ten cards. And for some decks, it actually just kills it. It's uh, 15 cards total if you kick it. Math! Go get a math, <laughs> you bastard. Was that what you, you wanted to say, Mark? Bastard. Oh, no, I wanted to say more than math, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say, um, I guess it depends on what... Death. Yeah, math! So, um, that's a total... Curse you, podcast, math! By the way. Oh! Um, I think it depends on what, what deck you're playing against. Like, I usually don't run, like, Jester's Cap effects until, like, I, I play against somebody like Eric. Like, I love Eric to death, but, you know, when you're going to go no-holds-barred, like, I'm going to steal the shit out your deck. So, like, Jester's Cap used to be in there. Jester's Cap used to be in there just to kill um, Grand Arbiter Augustus. 
or send triplets out of some decks, you know? Mm. Like the really hardcore, like, Esper Control decks. I'd be like, no, just fuck you. I don't want to see that card. Like, Winter Orb, man, Jester's Cap had Winter Orb in its sights. So, you know, so something like that. Like, if it's a crazy combo deck, I'm like, I'm just going to take the pieces of your combo. So it's like, who can, who can, you know, I, I don't know, like, who can tutor for your, your piece of removal quicker? Like, either you're tutoring for your combo quicker, or if I'm tutoring for the thing that's going to get rid of your combo piece. So, either one. Yeah, uh, I don't think there's really any sort of negative thing that I've seen about them. Like, I'd probably, unless I'm in a very combo-heavy meta, I'd probably just use actual removal in that spot. But I have seen something ridiculous. Um, someone kicked Sadistic Sacrament, pointed at someone, exiled 15 lands, then played Oblivion Sower while they had Obnixilus the Fallen on the field. <laughs> like, that that's the funnier thing you can do with it. But if I'm staring down a bunch of combo decks, I'll probably find a spot for a couple of these cards. Yeah, I think they're essential when you're playing against combo decks. But, yeah, you take uh, out, like, that friggin' Dovescape that the Arbiter player wants to drop down. Dick! But, but, but the thing for lobotomized-based cards, the reason, well, I'm gonna give you what my theory for the reason for why we don't hear much hatred for Alright? Hear me out. When it comes to a particular, like, style of, like, you know, you're playing the lobotomized deck, right? What meta would that particularly work well in? It would be metas where you already know what your opponents are playing, right? Because a Jester's Cap is fine, but if you're sitting down with a random group of people, like, say, for instance, you're in some type of league or you're just going to uh, GPs and you're playing a side events or, you know, you're just jumping around with a bunch of casuals at your local shop. Jester's Cap is okay, but when you crack it, you really have no idea what you're actually looking for. I mean, you might know what you want to look for, but there's no telling if that particular card or combo is going to be in that player's deck. Say, for instance, someone's playing, like, Aloru, and you're looking for the Doctor Foundry combo with sort of the Meek and something else. If You know, you can crack it going into that person's deck looking to see if they have that combo. But after about, like, ten minutes of searching through their deck, you don't see the cards. Now you're kind of stuck trying to find something else to take out. Which means, on average, it most likely is something that doesn't show up that often. The only time it would even show up to the point where it would become uh, a nuisance or a problem would be when a particular player or deck has become a nuisance and or problem. So that point becomes like, yeah, now let's just go back to Nixilis, and yes, this player has the Doctor Foundry combo in his deck, so now you're playing the Jester's Cap to deal with it. But at that point, the rest of the group doesn't care, because you're basically stopping the guy with broken combo that has been winning for the past two or three weeks. So no one's going to complain except for maybe Oloru player. So it's one of those, it's like, I can see how it could potentially end up being something that would be a nuisance in some playgroups. Like, you know, like if your group only has, like, if, like, one one or two particular decks that get played between each individual player, and you're the guy who's custom-made the deck to just, like, nope, I'm going to kill your deck, and then I'm going to kill your deck, and then I'm going to kill your deck, and then I'm going to win. In that group, then it would become an issue. But I see it as something where the average playgroup wouldn't come across this particular issue unless they actually fell into that kind of category. In which case, then now it's kind of more of the playgroup needs to either A, you learn how to adapt and change your styles up to kind of keep your game interesting, or maybe come up with some other type of like house rules or house card boundings or whatever the case may be to just kind of bring some more fun to the table so you don't have to go through the process of just capping every Emrakul that's ever been around. Well, not Emrakul, but you know what I mean. 
All right, then. No thought, no comments, no one cares. Moving on. I was okay then, sure. So, guys, there are two, really two types that actually exist. There's the Justice Cap one, where you can actually go and you can search for anything and then pop it out. But then there's also the, you know, kind of the ones like Stay in the Mine, where you can actually name it. And then it lets you search not just the, their deck, but also their hand and graveyard for that particular card. Which ones Slider do you like? Games. Yeah. Which ones do you like better? Do you like the ones that give you the freedom to name a card and it kind of gives you a, a wider berth to search, like their hand or graveyard, which could stop, like, reanimation shenanigans? Or do you prefer the, I don't actually have to name a card, but I can look, but I get a chance to look through their deck and kind of, you know, see what they're playing and then choose the card that offends me the most? Well, I would personally go with naming a card. If it really comes down to, like, if you know the people that you're playing with, um, if you know what your opponents are playing, Stain the Mind Slaughter games are much better because then it doesn't matter where the card is, you'll be able to find it. But if you're like playing side events and you're playing against decks that you have no clue what's going on, I think I'd rather play the Jester's Cap effects and just take a look at what you're working with and take what you need to. Yep. For me, like, but did I say name a card is the one I would prefer? Yeah. Uh, well, not, not not the name. Whichever one gives you the variety, the one where you like, you know, can just be able to look into the hand on the graveyard. That's the name of card, right? Yeah. yeah no. I would go with that. Wait, no. The, Wait, what? <laughs> like, right. the well, ones you know that what? just I'm allow confused. you to look at their library and right. take whatever cards you want. Right. You know what? The ones that just let you look at the library and you can just pick out any random card? No. The ones where you can actually look at a player's hand, look into the graveyard, and particularly and potentially just name a card and then just do the effect? Yes. Because if you can look through the graveyard and you can take something from their hand or whatever the case may be, I would much rather that. Not because I have an issue with specific cards, but just because I don't like the idea of I have to now pick your deck up of 80-something cards, potentially look through it, hopefully find something that I want. And then if I don't find anything, now i got to pick something at random. I would much rather be able to, like, you know what? I see that you have this card in your graveyard. I'm going to name Genesis. I'm going to exile this from your graveyard. Or, you know, I've had, like, you know, I got a chance to play, like, a, a, what is it, like, uh, what's Phyrexian Probe? That's the one to let you look at hand? Gataxian Probe. And, yeah, Gataxian Probe. I'd be like, you know, uh, Gataxian Probe, cast. Look, oh, I see the cards are in your hand. Okay, fine. Now I'm going to use this, and I'm going to go after this specific card in your hand and get rid of it. Because at least in that way, I don't have to worry about spending the next 15 minutes of my life just trying to hopefully hit on a particular card. But, like, if it were a typical play group where it's like you know the people you're playing with, you know what cards they're playing, then, yeah, maybe with the deck search one, but even still of that, I would probably only play it, like, every so often, because people do change their decks around, and certain cards and or combos may or may not be in there anymore. So, it just becomes, like, uh, it's too big of a gamble and time waste for me. You'd think me topping takes forever. Just imagine me going through your deck trying to find out what three cards I don't want you to have. Ugh, but there's so many. Alright then. So guys, do you have any final, you know, thoughts or opinions on the bottom effects? Like, the last thing I want, I know for sure I wanted to hit up on was the actual viability. Mark, you were talking about how, you know, ever since you started playing with Eric online, you know, you've had to actually include some of these, you know, the you know, kind of silver bullet a lot of stuff out of the deck before it hits the field. But at the same time, I've heard, you know, like, knowing Eric Oliver on the, uh, on Rivals Duel, talk about how stuff like Stay in the Mind is not worth playing. Like, it's just not worth the card slot. What do you think? I mean, I guess I can I can understand where he's coming from. Like instead of because these cards are reactive, right? They're not necessarily proactive. Well, like no, you're they're, specifically re. They're definitely, they're definitely proactive. Yeah. You think so? I don't know. Like I think you. 
I think on a meta level, they're reactive because you're reacting to what's happening in their deck. Like, yeah, it's proactive maybe in a game level because you're, yeah. you're trying to make sure it doesn't happen to you. But the reason why, like, the reason why Jester's Cap is in my deck is because I've been horribly brutalized by these awful cards in the past. <laughs> like, the reason why I take such... I don't even kick Sadistic Sacrament most of the time, like, even if I had a chance to, because I can usually use my mana in better ways. But I'm definitely going to go for those... Eric. If he's playing <laughs> yeah. against Eric, that bitch is kicked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, but again, like, I think it's fun to play. Sometimes it's just fun to play, like, really, like, high, not high stakes, but, like, really cutthroat magic. Or, like, in case of Grandpa Girls, like, just everyday magic. Like, some people <laughs> just play that way, you know? Which is fine, you know? Because, like, I really like stacks, for instance. Like, I love me some degenerate stacks decks. And you can't, like, you just can't sit down and play that against a normal, like, I wouldn't play that against, like, you know, some 14-year-old kid walks into the shop, like, hey, want to play a game of Commander? Like, my first Commander deck? Like, I wouldn't do that, because that's awful. Um, but against, like, anyone who sits down with Grand Arbiter? Yeah, fuck you. Your Grand Arbiter is going to go away, and all your permanents are going to go away. So, like, it's fair, it's fair game to play Jester's Cap effects against those kind of things. And plus, I think they're kind of fun. Like, if you've never played Jester's Cap, like, it goes in every deck. Like, just slot it in, you know, particularly if you're having, like, a trouble with one kind of thing, or you know that your deck is weak to one particular type of effect. Like, you know, give it a shot. What's it going to cost you? It's a card slot. Give it a shot. All right. See, my view for it it would be that uh, over on limited resources, when they're doing their set reviews, they have, like, the sideboard card. It's like this card is an A plus in specific situations, and it's an F in every other situation. (laughs) It's true. And and that's kind of how I feel about, like, lobotomize. It's the, if you just, like, can you just slot it into your deck? Yes. Is it worth the slot in just your deck if you're just playing it? More than likely, no. But in a given situation, and that situation being like what Marcus described, you played against a particular player, you know how they play, played against a particular deck, you know how it plays, you already know what's going to be going on here. This card can be like the top deck game winning rip of play of the day. But 99% of the time, it's just going to be the, oh, I just took 15 minutes to get rid of four random derp cards that I really shouldn't have wasted the mana on. But you know what? Hey, I at least, you know, thinned your deck slightly. Now, I have no problem with the cards. I have no problem with lobotomized effects. And they do kind of, you know, fit into the build, like, you know, kind of like rattlesnake cards and stuff. But on average, they're probably not worth playing. They're probably not worth being in the slot. And that's kind of where the commander sideboard would probably come in. You know, you take these particular cards. You have your, what is a we still have sideboards in Commander? No, I don't think we've ever Hell had no. sideboards in Commander. Um, I mean, you can if you want. There, yeah. there is technically a 10-card sideboard rule that I'm pretty sure is designed for wish cards, um, but no one ever actually uses it. Right. So, like, if you're in the meta and you feel as though this is kind of what you're dealing with, then I would just go ahead and just, you know, go ahead, make a 10-card sideboard, sleeve up those That's boards. That's what I should do. Just, just kind of just leave them in the box. And then when you happen to go to your local shop and you're sitting around and you're playing and everything, you see Eric walk in the door. As he's coming in, grab your deck, find the 10 cards you don't want, slot these bad boys in, and then prepare to, you know, ruin Eric's day. And if Eric doesn't show up, just go ahead and play a regular game of Commander. And these cards just, you know, they don't hurt you for just being pre-sleeved and set to the side until you randomly forget that they're in your side and you end up playing with a 110-card deck. But hey, that's your fault. 
you fucked up. You needed a divider, and you didn't get one. You best. All right, then. So, guys, that's it for the lobotomy effects. If you have opinions, things about that nature, you know where to hit us up on the Twitters, Facebooks, all the usual places. Next up, we're going to go into our Patron's Choice Strategy segment, and we're going to talk about three different ways to build Animar. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. Okay, let's see if the wizard's official rules for Commander um, as a sideboard also support sideboard things because that would be hilarious to go into a GP and be like, yeah, I technically have 110 cards. I mean, <laughs> if you're playing the new Eldrazi Wish, where are you playing a Commander GP? No, the mm. side events. Ugh. I'm considered doing one of those again, but I end up spending my money on food instead. Good call. So while William Player dealing with that, here's something that I kind of want to throw out there for a random dangle. Okay, there uh, is no sideboard rule in the comprehensives about Commander. Unfortunate. Because it's under house rules on the MTG Commander website. Uh, house rules is just fine for me. And besides, you know, even if you do have them in your side, like, what, who's going to really, like, tell you not to? I mean, like, unless you're actually playing somewhere where you need an actual list of your 100-card commander, it, it's, no one's coming. No one's coming. Yeah, but what about, what about GP Kalia? GP Kalia? Yeah. Well, no, no, we got to call it G Shark. GP Shark. GP Great Whale? Uh, it's GP Giant Shark, boy. No, the Great Whale is just oh. controversy. <laughs> So, in our strategy segment today, the patron choice is three ways to build a commander. So, the, the general, and I actually did just straight post a comment in here, minus uh, one switch around. Three or more ways to build decks around the same com- general. I would choose something competitive and popular, like, say, Animar. And I actually just replaced Animar onto Aloro after we thought about it for a while. And give suggestions on how to build them based on the five player archetypes Timmy, Johnny, Spike, Vorthos, and Melvin. Which Vorthos and Melvin are a different axis than Timmy, Johnny, Spike, but whatever, we'll stick with it. So, guys, starting with Animar. Animar, which, of course, if you didn't know, because he actually just is one of the more powerful commanders, he's blue, red, green. He's one of the original teamer commanders. He has protection from black and from white, and he's only a 1 1. But, every time you cast a creature spell, he gets a 1-1 counter. And, each plus 1 plus 1 counter reduces the generic cost of a creature by 1. So, yeah, with, like, morph creatures and Eldrazi, he can actually just make them free. And NMR is actually a lot more flexible than, say, something like Aloru, which is actually going to help facilitate this conversation a little better. So, guys, the first thing I want to go ahead and take a look at is Timmy. You know, that's probably the most straightforward way that, you know, I can actually go into this, because one of the things that I... And here's the thing about... The, uh, the psychographics, you know, Timmy, Johnny, Spike, is that sometimes, if you're not careful, they kind of bleed into each other. With Vorthos and Melvin, they're, they're on just a completely different access. Because remember, Vorthos is about flavor, Melvin is about mechanics. What I did when I tried to build an Amber deck was actually kind of a cross between uh, Timmy and Melvin. Because from a mechanical sp- standpoint, this made me really happy because it was literally going infinite. And with Timmy, this is more about putting out just these really, really huge things. And what I did with Animar was I had a Tribal Hydra deck. And this was all X spell Hydras and things to help facilitate them. Because, you know, when it's X, and you can keep throwing counters on to Animar and keep reducing the cost by X, it basically means that you just keep playing Hydras over and over again, and it's literally infinite. There's no end to how big the Hydras can get. And at some point, someone's going to die. 
So there's a moment aspect to that in that what really wanted me to play that deck was the mechanical as- aspect. Oh, you know, the X count, you know, playing more creatures feeds Animar, which makes the creatures grow bigger, and it feeds into that stuff. It's a cycle. You know, Melvin likes the, the nuts and bolts of deck building. You know, it's kind of like archetype. You know, it's kind of like an architect, you know, admiring a nice building. It's very mechanically sound because they just keep feeding into each other and it runs like a nice engine. But there's also that Timmy thing where, remember, Timmy is all about the experience. He's about having fun. He's all about having these great, huge stories. And one of the best things about it was going, hey, oh, ooh, I got this Hydra to be a 42-42. That's really awesome. Like, some of that is Mana Ramp, but most of that is just Animar being big, too. Uh, may I point out something that I find kind of interesting about William's statement there? The fact that he says like the deck that he's built for Animar is Timmy and uh, Melvin, right? Yep. But then he describes it as a Hydra theme deck. And as a theme deck, that mostly goes right into where Vorfels are like, oh man, I love the idea that I'm playing all these creatures and they all have this particular mechanic and they all kind of have this particular story and they all like this one, this one specific creature type. I mean, yes and no. Vorthos is more, again, Vorthos is more flavor-based, so he might have a flavor reason for wanting to put Hydras in there, but the reason behind the action was based around mechanics. It was a, hey, this and this work like this, let's go ahead and build off of that mechanic and start designing the house around this floor plan. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not saying that there's any particular issue with that, but it's like, you know, the fact that it's like it's described as a Hydra theme deck in the back of my head, as soon as I hear the word theme, I think Vorthos, because the person who usually comes to my mind is like, oh. yeah, like granted, yes, I understand, like, you know, it's all Hydras, it's all mechanical, but then, you know, I think of like, uh, every creature in this deck is this, because these creatures hang out together. Why? Because they're the same type. The biggest... Well, I think it's... Maybe if we explain it differently. Um, well, I was actually for those. I got a very for those being more lore got, as opposed to flavor. But I've, I've got what, a good analogy here. So it's kind of like making a gingerbread house, right? So All right. with Vorthos, Vorthos is more concerned about how they're going to decorate the gingerbread house. You know, whether, you know, if you get the right icing and the right candy, you know, you can make it a superhero decoration or you can make a Futurama decoration. You can basically have these themes that are all, you know, kind of superficial, right? Like you can make a gingerbread house look any different way you want. Like you could even flavor it so that you had like a giant, you know, you can grab like your toy Godzilla and you can pose them, and you can design the house so it looks like Godzilla's attacking the house. That's kind of what deck building for Vorthos feels like to me. Melvin, though, is looking more at the nuts and bolts of building that gingerbread house. You know, they might have fun just putting together a very solid gingerbread house, or they might get ambitious and go, okay, I want to build like a, you know, a gingerbread cathedral, or a gingerbread monoleum, you know, something along those lines, where it's about the gingerbread house itself, not how they're going to make it look. Quite, quite. So I guess the the way that I was going to try and explain it um, with one of my own decks, actually, is if I were to build Mizzix of the Ismagus, Vorthos would be if I made it all with Is It Themed cards from original and Return to Ravnica blocks. Mm-hmm. Melvin would be the way that I did build it, where all of the spells have X in their cost. Because that is a mechanical thing, even though it is a theme, it is not a flavor thing. 
No, and that's actually a very good example, too. Right. So now that we've kind of explained Melvin and Borthos, should we talk about the other three? Yeah. So, kind of touch on Timmy a little bit with my declaration explanation. Again, Timmy is about the experience. Timmy is about, you know, either having fun with friends or having, you know, great stories to tell or just being able to play cards that have, you know, a certain wow factor or an experience attached to them. Like going, okay, I play Omniscience and then I got to drop my whole hand. Like, there's a, there's a really big, splashy appeal there. The typical, the stereotypical Timmy is about playing really big dudes. And while playing really big dudes is certainly very Timmy-esque, it's not restricted to just that. It's about yeah. playing these things that leave an impression on you. Like, you know, playing the Praetors, like Vorinclax and Jinkadexius. Those can actually be considered very Timmy in the sense that they want to feel evil. They want to feel like, they're the bad guys, they if, that's, are if that's what they're big, going for. big, impactful things. Yeah, things that definitely have presence, which is something that we talked about. Things that embody the spirit of EDH. Yeah. <laughs> that's certainly a spirit of EDH. But then there's but also... William says presence, and then I hear the spirit, and the first thing that came to my mind was Christmas. Continue. Well, I mean, Timmy also... can live in magical Christmas land a lot of the time. Yeah, but that's also more relevant to the second psychographic, which is Johnny. And remember... And Johnny, you know, for him, there certainly are a lot of magical Christmas land scenarios because Johnny is typically stereotyped as the combo player. When in reality, Johnny is closer to a, to someone who wants to show off, you know, their take on something. You know, in some respects, I'm typically like, described, typically described as the player who wants to prove something. No, 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 that's Spike. Johnny is. No, Spike I, is the player who wants to win at any cost. Yeah, they want to prove themselves. They want to prove that they're the better players. Johnny's the one who's uh, uh, about expressing himself. So, wait, my view of it is, is what, well, my view for what I meant by prove for Johnny is, say, for instance, you look at a particular card, you say this card sucks. Johnny says it doesn't. Johnny wants to prove to you he's right. And he's going to find every possible scenario that he can make this card work. Yes. Johnny! My, my Kirkesh deck is a prime Johnny deck because it's just find interactions that work together to get advantage and win the game. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, no, there's all, there are also ways that, you know, Johnny can want to express himself with, you know, taking like an atypical commander, like say, like going back to one of my staples, Kalia. You know, it's a very Johnny thing to say, I want to play this as an aggro deck, and I'm only going to, and I want to, you know, it does fall into the lines of Calvin recently where it goes, I want to prove that you can do X with this card. Because you have a personal kind of stake in doing, this is how I want to play this commander, so I'm going to build the deck to do this specifically. With Johnny, there's more of a goal in mind. You want to go, hey, look at this thing that I did. Well, all, well, all of the psych, all of them have like a particular goal, but those goals are very like Timmy's goal is primarily, you know what? I'm going to get the biggest, baddest creature. I'm going to get the most creatures on the board. I'm going to figure out a way to show that the players that's at my table that I can have the most epic play ever. Do I win? I don't care. I just want to do this really fun, interesting, and amazing thing. Johnny, his goal basically becomes, I have a particular card. I want to show everybody that I know what to do with the card and I understand the interaction of this card and how to make this card work even if people do think that it sucks for whatever random reason. I'm going to prove to them that this card does not suck. And then Spike's goal basically becomes I'm going to take this card. This card's going to help me. Now this card's going to give me a win and then after I win, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to rub my win in your face. I don't care how this card helps me win. As long as it helps me win as efficiently as it can able to for whatever I'm doing. And if there's a card that's better, I'm more than willing to scrap this card out of my deck and replace it with that other more efficient mana card 
cost, i.e. a better card, which a lot of players don't like to talk about in Magic. But you know what? There are some cards in Magic that are just strictly better, and Spike knows all those strictly better cards. Right. Spike in particular loves cards that reward good decision making that, you know, scale with the skill of the player. The better that a player is, the better they can use a card, and they love cards like that. Usually modular cards, too. Because a better player will know which mode to use at what situation. So, with those archetypes nailed down, guys, we already touched on kind of the, the Timmy aspect of it. So, what would be a good Johnny way to build Animar? Well, Johnny Animar would be something... So, like, Timmy Animar would be either using Animar to power out giant creatures or just to get value by casting creatures like, for cheaper. Like Eldrazi. Um, yeah, or artifact creatures or morph creatures, stuff like that. Um, Johnny Animar would be much more interested in getting a ton of counters on Animar and doing the same sort of things by casting a bunch of creatures for free. But going towards an end goal of, say, maybe casting a glimpse of nature and drawing a bunch of cards on off of it, or using something like I don't know, uh, um, some kind of flying whale thing that Mark put in the chat that I don't believe exists to generate infinite mana. Um, it is an illusion, so yeah. it, it definitely is an illusion. Um, Basically, as opposed to Timmy, who just wants to play a bunch of dudes and eventually beat people down, Johnny is more focused towards an end goal of beating people up. But Johnny, Not necessarily it, with creatures, mm, but... It feels like Animar is more of a, an engine piece rather than the yes, focus. Yes. Whereas you use Animar to get a discount on your creatures to cast them cheaper, to get towards an end goal of drawing a bunch of cards, usually, or getting a bunch of counters on Animar as a win condition. Whereas Johnny just wants to play all of the Hydras for a crap ton and then beat people with those. All right, then. So, Kevin, any thoughts on Johnny? Uh, no, not really. As far as I can tell from what you guys are nailing down, it seems just about what Johnny would be wanting to do. It's pretty much the, I'm going to play these creatures, I'm going to expect. I personally think that uh, morph creatures might be something Johnny might want to get into. Not because yeah. of the fact, because because morph creatures, they're not the big flashy creatures that Timmy wants. And they're not guaranteed to be game-breaking or the best creatures that Animar could be playing like Spike would want. So that would probably be something Johnny would, just because it'd become more of the, he can find a way to use them, uh, take advantage of the fact that they have this morph cost and get creatures down cheaper and quicker, uh, quicker, yep. quicker and all those various like things. You also have the aspect that you can go ahead and do some silly combo type things like with the Cloudstone Curio. Yeah. Right. I, th I think Morph Animar does accurately represent Johnny more than anything else. Alright then, so Spike Animar. We're talking about a lean, mean, killing machine, like grandpa growth levels of, you know, the goal here is to win, why wouldn't I play the most efficient, most brutal methods of winning? What does that deck look like? Well, for a Spike version of what Animar would be, you have to look at it from a Spike's, why would he choose Animar as the commander? Because he gets well, to one, because, well, one, because it's cheap. It's uh, very cheap to cost. It's only three mana, right? Yep, it has protection from two of the best removal colors. Exactly. Yep. And it also reduces the mana cost for other creatures that you could be playing. So every other creature you have becomes better because they cost less as long as Animar is around. Yes. 
Yes. So say, and also Animar is in blue, green, and red. So you have access to counter spells, you have access to ramp spell, and you have access to whatever red cards you happen to want to play, punishment effects, or red creatures like lightning ball that are just like really big and uh, huge in the attack. Smaller defense, but it doesn't matter to you because you're going to be reducing those costs at some point or another, some way or another. Not necessarily lightning ball in this particular case because Animar only really works for a colorless creature, but Spike would be like, that's perfectly fine because he can throw in like his artifact creatures and all the various like um, adaptive automatons and whatever he wants to and just abuse the effect there and basically start getting artifact creatures for free and started getting these other effects for free. And as long as these cards are for free there and they do what they're supposed to do, the value for them and the chances for him winning are greatly increased. Yes. I think there are two sets of two cards that come to mind when I think of Spike Animar. The first one, or set of three cards really, um, Cloudstone Curio with Cloud of Fairies and Shrieking Drake. Or no, that doesn't... With Cloud of Fairies and any other creature, honestly. Um, because it allows you to cast Cloud of Fairies, untap two lands, bounce your other creature, play your other creature, bounce your Cloud of Fairies, and just keep resetting those lands over and over. Um, this can go really well with, say, Glimpse of Nature, um, which allows you to draw a card every time you cast a creature spell. And the other set of three would be Glimpse of Nature, or other set of two, really. Glimpse of Nature plus Earthcraft. Because then every time you cast a creature spell, you can just untap the land to uh, cast the next one and just keep chaining through your deck very, very quickly. Right. Other things I would probably see like in a spikier version of Animar would obviously be cards like Pelicron for the mana reset. Uh, potentially... Drake is absolutely insane. Potentially like um, uh, Doretti, maybe, if you're going with like an artifact build, because now your artifacts are getting a cheaper usage for your artifact creatures, and Doretti's giving you a chance to look for stuff. You wouldn't really be using it for a card draw, but more just kind of like the filtering process, potentially just getting stuff into the graveyard, and you're going to probably find some other way to reanimate or bring back one way or another. Uh, clones. Clones will probably end up being in there all through it, because now all the clones are cheaper, and now I have the best other creature on the board. A lot of straight value type stuff. Right. So, like, for Spike, it'd basically be, like, Animar, good stuff. As long as the good stuff are cheap and easy to get a hold of, and probably yep. the best creatures of whatever these color companies are going to provide. And a lot of that is just because Animar circumvents one of the basic rules of magic, which is you have to pay mana to cast stuff. So if you no longer have to pay it's... mana, or even nearly as much mana, then you're already breaking a critical rule of the game, and you're gaining so much advantage over that, that it's really just going to quickly overwhelm anyone who isn't prepared for it. And it's probably going to be filled with a bunch of counter spells. So this way, because Animar already has protection from black and from white. So you don't have to worry about like too many like instant speed spot removals or certain creatures or commanders. Animar's just going to get around them. Also, and then the counter spells would mostly be the Creatures that bounce other creatures or themselves. So like Shrieking Drake and Dreamstalker. Yep. Um, and creatures that draw cards. So Elvish Visionary, Mole Drifter, that sort of thing. Um, you just want to keep the train going. <laughs> and, you know, potentially like a uh, Mystic Snake, too, because that's a creature with a counterspell attached to it, and you can bounce it and reuse it as a counterspell slash creature. Speaking of Moldrifter, so, guys, what does a Vorthos one look like? Because there certainly is something to be said about how you can go with different tribal themes. Like, one of the things I've seen is an elemental theme deck around Vorthos, which... It's tribal, so we'll count it. So, you know, so, so you know how I build Vorthos Animar? I play Horde of Notions and put Animar in the deck and play Elemental Tribal. Yeah. <laughs> that is how we do that. Now, now here's the one question. Here's one question that a Vorthos player would have to ask in order to build a Animar deck. What plane is Animar from? 
I want to say Zendikar. It seems like a very Zendikari card. Very Zendikari design. Yeah, I'd say Zendikari. Because I, I know, like, all the original, all the commanders had, like, little, like, glimpses of backstories or whatever. So I know Animar is from some magic. Typically doesn't just print a creature and then just be like, oh, yeah, here's this creature. No, normally it's on a particular plane. Like, even Birds of Paradise has ties to Ravnica, you know? So I can easily see, like, a Vorthos looking up Animar, finding the backstory on it, figuring out where it's from, what plane it's from. Okay, I'm going to use cards from this particular plane to build this particular deck. It's going to be filled with creatures that would potentially come across Animar, creatures that would battle against Animar or battle alongside of it, a few other elementals that Animar would like. Overall, when you spread the deck out, there's an overall story. Can you play it? Yes. Can it be used? Of course. Is it worth playing? Probably. I don't know. But, you know, it's more of the, uh, yeah, this creature's here because... This is the creature that would have discovered Animar, and this is the creature that would have had to have built these creatures that, if you look at the flavor text, would have had a hand in trying to figure out a way to bind Animar back or try to find a way to stop it. Yeah, but other than that, Animar doesn't really have a lot of story behind him. Like, if you're building a Vorthos-style Animar deck, there probably has to be, like, some sort of background theme, like scale trees or something like that. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like for, like say for instance, if we had a different type of commander, like one that we actually know more about or have more of a backstory uh, for, like Marin, or we had, I don't know, Physics or Daxos, Physics or Daxos, or Basically any of the other any commanders. Of the, that, any of the ones from the newest sets, yeah. Right. If those showed up, then yes, you would have a great Vortos deck that would just be built around the theme for it. Whereas, say for instance. With Animar, uh, Vorthos play would probably have to stretch a little bit just to kind of make his or her, I don't know, not being sexist here, their story work for Animar, but in the end, it would still kind of total, no, total up to what they want the deck to look like. Welcome back, Mark. Howdy! Alright then. So, this is actually a, probably a better, a good point to go ahead and wrap this up, unless you guys had some other Suggestions for how to build Animar with one of these five archetypes. Uh, I think we've basically hit mostly everything we need to talk about. Uh, we've talked about Timmy, we've talked about Spike, Johnny, Morphos. The closest thing we would have to talk about next would end up being Melvin, but we've already discussed that when we were starting off the segment talking about your Hydra Timmy deck. So I think we've hit enough of the points. All right, then. So then, that's the end of the Patrons' Choice Communities er, and Strategy. So we're next up, we're going to wrap things up. For the Patrons' Choice Technology segment, we're going to talk about Top Fogs. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. Top five Fogs. Is there a Red Fog? Hmm. Like, what would a Red Fog look if like? you count Raging River? Yes. I think you would almost have to, wouldn't you? Raging River is just the best red card. So, yes. Like, like Earthquake is a Red Fog. You we're preventing creatures, we're preventing creatures from attacking by killing everything. No. Clay, why don't you go like, ahead and talk about Raging River? Like, it's huh? red. Red would be like, yeah, like, we're going to take care of all of this. Let's blow everything up. Should I go ahead and talk about Raging River right now? Raging River is the best river to rage well, about. Well, let me introduce the segment first. Well, gentlemen, the segment is all yours because red doesn't really do fog, so I'm going to sit here and scratch me balls for the next segment. All right, then. Balls scratch <clears throat> So today in our technology segment, 
we are going to talk about the top fogs, our favorite fogs, fog of war. So we're going to go ahead and each talk about cards that can, you know, prevent damage or at the very least, and I'm, I'm going to loosen up the definition here so we can get some blue action here. Cards that can, you know, basically act like fogs. That is to say negate a sudden swing or attack and kind of save your bacon from those alpha strikes. And we're going to have Clay start off because there's a particular red card, and this may be the only real red fog that we can use here. Clay, what's a red card that kind of fogs? Alright, so it's not even a fog effect. It's actually, it actually helps you on offense. You know, what? We can't, we can't even describe this one in this segment because it does nothing of the fogging variety. I found one! Which one? Desperate Gambit. And you get to flip a fucking coin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah we're back in the money. All right, Mark, what is it? All right, Desperate Gambit. Um, it is from, what is it? It is from Weatherlight. That is why you have never heard of this card. Uh, it is one red mana. It's an instant. Uh, choose a source you control and flip a coin. If you win the flip, the next time that source would deal damage this turn, it deals double damage. Instead, if you lose the flip, the next time, or the next time it would deal damage this turn, prevent that damage. So it's like the opposite of a fog, and it only oh, works yeah. for shit uh-huh. you control. <laughs> okay, okay, here's the actual red fog. Impulsive Maneuvers. Um, enchantment, Ooh. two red red. Mm. Whenever a creature attacks, flip a coin. If you win the flip, the next time that creature would deal combat damage this turn, it deals double that damage. If you lose the flip, the next time that creature would deal combat damage this turn, prevent that damage. So it's that effect for all creatures on an enchantment. So that is red fog. Oh, shit, I forgot. G- grac- uh, glacial crevasses, too. Crevasses? Crevasses? Yeah. The one you have to sacrifice a snow mountain? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we have our our red fogs. Sweet. That's all fine. Um, Alright. Red fogs. Impulsive. Universe. Glacial crevasses. Cool. Now, a question. We got that. Are there actual blue fogs that I don't know of, or are we actually going to have to use stuff like Aether Eyes and Aether Spells? Things that say, you know... Attacking creatures do this with them. No, they're definitely blue fogs. I th- there must be. If they're red fogs, they're blue fogs. I mean, fog bank counts, doesn't it? Wait, hold on a second. There are cards. Wouldn't that... a blue fog be something where it's like it just reduces the attack of all creatures to some type of astronomical number, like seven or thirteen, or whatever? Like super hydro blasts. Right. Actually, I'm gonna look at that for downsides. Blue fogs. That's right, listeners. You can tell that we actually did research for this live on the show as we search for the cards that actually do what we're supposed to have been discussing and resetting up. Do you think energy field counts? Hmm. Read off energy field? Energy field is um, prevent all damage dealt to you from sources you don't control? Yes. Okay. That would be a blue fog. Because it's basically saying what fog says, just saying it in a way that blue would say it. Yeah, like statecraft does that too, prevent all combat damage. How did I not know about assert authority? Uh, don't know, maybe because you never typed in fog and looked for blue and gather. Regardless, regardless. Alright then, so... Read off assert authority, now that you've mentioned it. Well, assert authority is actually just a counterspell, but it has affinity for artifacts. Ah. Like it costs seven, I think? Yeah, it costs seven. But it has a fin- Oh, for that's why. Yeah, it could be counterspell if you have five artifacts out. But it also exiles the counterspell. Isn't that from um, Mirrodin? Yes, it is. So it's dissipate with affinity for artifacts. Don't they have a metalcraft version of that too? Uh, no, I think that's actually just stoic rebuttal, which is just cancel with metalcraft. 
Alright then, so, let's go ahead and start looking at some of the other fogs. And the first one that I want to go ahead and talk about is one from the, oh. from ye olde Tarkin deck, which, why did, what happened to my thing? There we go. Moment's Peace. For two mana, green instant. Prevent all combat damage that would be dealt this turn. So, that's not just to you, you could actually use it to save a friend. But it also flashes back for two and a green. And I love it in a Tarka because I want to commit so many spots to just straight aggro and potentially one-shine people with Furnace Wrath and double-striking dragons. But I fear the crackback. So having Moments Peace to cast against one person and then use flashbacking it against another person in the same round is fantastic. It also sometimes just gets stuck in the graveyard. Like if you're using Greater Good and you just have to discard it. You know, sometimes it gets overlooked and you go, Gotcha, bitch! And then you kill them on the crackback. So who's next? Yes. Yes. All the time. Quite. But there would be no, like, it, it's, like, what was the name of that card again, William? Moments Peace. Moments Peace rocks. Like, with a, with a card like that, Moments Peace is one of those fogs where typically a fog would be a card that most players wouldn't play. Moments Peace kind of, because fog basically doesn't help you win, it just prevents you from kind of losing. And Moments Peace is one of those few fogs where it's like, it, would potentially make it into multiple, uh, make it into a deck just because of the fact it can use it twice as opposed to just using it as a one-time shot like most fogs are. And any fogs that are used, any fog effects that can be used multiple times or be reused are typically better than just your typical fog just because it's like, yeah, you fog, it saved you now, but it's not going to save you next turn because it's gone. But at least with a card like Moments Peace, it's like, yeah, it saved you now. And is a good chance it may save you later, too. Well, speaking of reusable fogs, um, one of mine that has kind of made a comeback with the rise of the Gitrog monster, um, well, uh, Constant Mists costs one and a green, instant, pre- uh, prevent all combat damage that will be dealt this turn, but it has buyback, sacrifice a land. So you pay two mana, sacrifice a land, and you fog, and you can fog again next turn, you can fog again next turn next turn and with get trog monster you just keep drawing cards sometimes you uh sometimes you just cast it even when no one's attacked just to get the card draw off mm. actually that's one i don't think i actually have that card i'm going to need that for when i go to the character lands deck <laughs> and the other part for it is is like if you're using other cards like life from the loam or crucible of worms the sacrifice a land doesn't really hurt you nearly as much because you can just get them back all right then mark what's a fog you want to share with us my favorite fog, hands down, is Darkness. The Black Fog. <laughs> the best uh, fog. So, no, I think, wouldn't it be racist if I did, like, if I said dark? I was, I was thinking of, hmm, what's that? Oh, god damn, the Dave Chappelle show. What was Darkness. that? What, what? Yeah, okay, so, yeah, Dave Chappelle show. So, Charlie someone, Murphy, no, yeah, it, there we go. I was like, who the hell was he calling Darkness? There we go. It was one of those Eddie, uh, not Eddie Murphy. Charlie, Charlie Murphy. Murphy. There we go. Sorry. He's, you know, he, he's thinking is... of um, when Dave Chappelle was being Rick James and Charlie Murphy was doing Rick James stories. Rick James basically told Charlie Murphy and Eddie Murphy that their names or their nicknames, as far as Rick was concerned, was dark. Because no matter what, they were always the blackest brothers in Rome. Boom. You know, the sad part is that's like that's like 15 years old now, man. Yeah. Ooh, oof, that's scary. Moving on. Darkness is awesome. Darkness, Darkness is a fog is... in black. That's all you really need to know. It costs one black. Every time someone swings into you for lethal, you should just start singing Hello Darkness, My Old Friend, as you cast it. Yeah. <laughs> Hello I don't know darkness, if I can get... My old friend. 
man, I don't know if I can get behind so the Paul Simon. With you so. again. Oh, oh, but all right. You know. yeah. All right. So Kevin said he's taken out of this. So let's go ahead and go on to the next one. And mine's kind of a twofer because they're more or less the same card. It's Kami of, the, of False Hope and Spore Frog. I play both of these in my Carador deck. So Kami is a white spirit, and Spore Frog is a green... The hell is, he? is he actually a fro- frog? Pretty sure it's a frog. Yes, he's a frog. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's a Spore Frog. Okay, yeah, he's, he's a frog. A I, you, you never tell. Like, sometimes, you know, frog isn't an actual type. But then I guess you get, like, a drug monster. He should yeah, be frog now. So yeah, they, bo- before. they both have sacrifice himself, prevent all combat as dealt this turn. So in a Carador deck, when you can just play it every turn, and if they go to kill it or exile it, you just sack him in response. That's really good. It means you have one of those recurable frog, and, and the spore frog is actually just kind of cute. Like, he's all kind of fungusy, but he's also kind of cute. I remember the first time I put a spore frog under a mimic fat. People... People did not like that. I bet. No, people did not, but only uncool people. Yeah. See, Spore Frog is kind of like that girl from elementary school that you knew that had the herpes on her lip, but she was still kind of cute. Every so often, it's like, you know, like, yeah, you know, I, like, I understand, like, you know, this might be considered gross in some places. But you know what? When when, when the when the lumps go away, it's perfectly fine. I'll accept. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> okay, does that, does that turn Spore Frog into herpes Frog? No, 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 we're not going. No, no, no. All right, no. all right. So, okay. next fog. Um, next fog will be more relevant with the coming of Eldritch Moon now that we have Ulrich of the Kralin Horde. Um, Moonmist is back from original Innistrad, and it costs one and a green. Instant transform all humans, prevent all combat damage that will be dealt this turn by creatures other than werewolves and wolves. Um. So basically, it turn it transforms all of your werewolves and then fogs all of the other creatures. So, like, if an opponent attacks in and you block where the transform side would kill all of their creatures, you use this, it transforms all of them, and then kills all of your opponent's things and your stuff doesn't die. Or if you attack into them and they block in a way to kill your dudes, you can use it as a combat trick to transform your guys, kill their dudes, and still have the unblocked creatures hit them. Why this is does tribal, sound... fog. tribal fog. I mean, what card am I? What card are you thinking of? Anything uh, that one... says prevent all combat damage that would be dealt by non-blank creatures? Right. For some strange reason, now that you've said that, in the back of my head, like, I'm envisioning, like, of either it's a Boros or a red card that does something similar. I don't know why. I can't place my well, let's do a search for prevent all combat damage. There are 55 cards. Let's say prevent all combat damage in some capacity. I don't know why. For some reason, that's going to be stuck in the back of my head. It's probably not going to hit me until we actually get to the dangles. But continue. <laughs> dangles! All right, Mark. Next one. Next one is Gossamer Chains. Gossamer Chains is, an, is a white enchantment from Visions. It costs two, and it says return Gossamer Chains to owner's hand. Target unblocked creature deals no combat damage this turn. So it is... Niche in that, like, it only does one creature. However, it is repeatable for all, the low cost of two white mana. Yes. It's basically a weird maze fifth. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, I know what I'm talking I know what card I'm thinking of now. I know what it is. I know what it is. The card I was thinking. It's, um, 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 <gasps> Iros. God of, um, the God of Lift. Because he has the Domary Gate effect. Your creatures can attack in and then they can do damage and they don't have to worry about dying. Oh yeah, how do we forget about That's, that? And Domary Gate. There we go. Those are the cards that I was thinking of that 
had that affected uh, the moon, the green moon card did with the flip thing. Because it's preventing all the damage that your creatures do, but you still have to be the aggressor and do the attacking in order for it to, like, matter. Yeah. But actually, oh, isn't it, like, overwhelming presence, or there's another one with a giant spider on the art that does, it, like, everything prevents all combat damage except for one creature? Something like that. Oh, but, yeah, go ahead. Continue with the topic. Ignore me. Ignored! <laughs> Let's see, then. Oh, hey, there's fighting chance. One red instant. For each blocking creature, flip a coin. If you want to flip... No, wait, that doesn't work. Never mind. It's just blocking creature. I, I got excited for a second. Thought I saw another one. But I do have a, another white card. Dawn Charm. It's one I, I actually play quite a bit of. Two minute instant. It's a charm, so it has three modes. Prevent all combat damage that we dealt this turn. Regenerate target creature. Counter target spell that targets you. So a way to fight those lobotomy effects that, you know, you were talking about <laughs> in that first segment, first of all. Two. Right, I'm gonna just cap you. Nope, don't charm. Poo. Yeah. Also stops the uh the villainous well, oh, or as you know some of us like to call it the nemesis wave. <laughs> so aside from what being, did you call it the first time? The villainous wealth. Villainous wealth. Villainous wealth. Oh, oh my! What the fuck is a villainous wealth? That sounds metal. Shit. But I don't know what that is. It's the soul tie card. You know, you pay X. Well, now I know what it is, but. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so Dawn Charm. Aside from being a fog and beside being a corner case counterspell, it also has regenerate target creature. And that's relevant, especially when you play a group that has a lot of board rats that aren't necessarily Wrath of God but more Day of Judgment, which just straight destroys the creature. It matters for, you know, spot removal like Terminate, Doomblade, also just for blocking and attacking, like, oh, you know, you had a bad attack, or you had to, you know, block. There's a lot of instances where I'll use Darn Charm to protect Noyan Dar or the uh, the Monster Mentor or Talran. And it's so funny to have them think that they they've gotten around, you know, a counter spell where they go abrupt decay on, you know, your land creature and I just go, Nope, Dawn Charm and now he's three counters bigger. Dawn Dawn Charm. Actually abrupt decay is non land, so whatever. Correct. The point still is, even if they try and get around stuff with non counterable instances sorceries or anything like that, like a supreme verdict, I can still go, well, I'm essentially countering you because I regenerate my creature. Yes. Alright, that's Dawn Charm. Last round, guys. Clay. Alright. This one came out in the uh, Commander 2015 uh, sets, and it has affectionately earned the name around the shop Spiderfog. Arachnogenesis. Two in a green. Instant. Put X, one, two, green spider creature tokens with reach on the battlefield, where X is the number of creatures attacking you. Prevent all combat damage that would be dealt this turn by non-spider creatures. So basically, it makes a bunch of spiders that can block, but they don't have to block because the combat damage is prevented. And then you can just hit them on the way back. Like, if someone goes infinite with uh, zealous conscripts or some shit, and you're just like... Well, your Kiki-Jiki's tapped after you made infinite dudes. I'm going to block all of your dudes and then kill you. Yeah, spider It's even better when he has something like Blood Artist or Soul Warden out. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess the Soul Warden would be as relevant in that scenario, but, you know, um, Blood Artist. All those fall- and then, die. but the way that I've seen this played is in Izuri Claw of Progress decks. It basically just says, I'm in a fog and get, like, ten experience counters. Because I also... all of those spiders will trigger. Hehe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alright then. So, guys, I think Mark's gonna wrap us up. Yes! 
with another creature that is not Spore Frog or Herbie Frog or Kami the False Hope. Frontline Strategist is also a one-mana white creature that is a soldier, and this card only works for soldiers, and you're going to say, Mark, this is a niche card, and I'm going to say, shut up, it goes in a soldier deck. So, when Frontline Strategist is turned face up, because it is a morph creature, prevent all combat damage on non-soldier creatures would deal this turn. Fair. It is fun. Twice. I approve. Alright then. So, guys, that's it. a couple it. of honorable mentions. Oh, you want to do honorable mentions? Yeah, we honorable, honorable mentions ones. that are not actually fogs, but are really funny niche cards. So, Curtain of Light and Dazzling Beauty... Um, have this awkward ability um, where you can only cast them during the declare blocker steps, but target attacking cre- t- target unblocked attacking creature becomes blocked. So it basically says fog that guy. Um, of course, if they have trample, they'll still trample over. Um, and then curtain of light draws a card immediately. Dazzling beauty draws a card at the beginning of the next upkeep. My favorite one, however, is flash foliage. Costs two and a green. Put a 1-1 green sapperling creature token into play, blocking target creature attacking you. Draw a card. So, basically all three of these can be used to deal with uh, creatures that can't be blocked. Because Flash Foliage, I don't believe... um, Well, now that they say can't be blocked, instead of unblocked, that's awkward. Um, Uh, Pretty sure it still works the same way, though. The sapperling token is blocking the attacking creature even if the block couldn't legally be declared. Right, because um, you didn't declare a block. The card made a block. Yes. Um, the, the funnier thing about um, the Dazzling Beauty and Curtain of Light is if you have, say, a Konda, Lord of Eganjo, with Trample, you can use it to trigger his Bushido to make him bigger and then punch them even harder. Bushido. Yes. Uh, Bushido was the uh, samurai ability from Kamigawa. Whenever the creature blocked or became blocked, it would get a boost in power and toughness. Yep. So Konda is a 3-3 with Bushido 5. So if you give him Trample, like, say, Loxodon Warhammer, so he's a 6-3, you attack with him, you use um, Curtain of Light to make him blocked by a non-existent 0-0. You're then punching your opponent with an an 11-8 with Trample and Lifelike. It's just funny. It's just very funny. Well, if we're talking about, like, honorable mentions, um, what is that white enchantment? There's a white enchantment that, if you put on a creature, allows your creature to block all creatures. Uh, I forget. <laughs> oh, um... Something authority? Cards like Palisade Giant and Pariah can also do that. Um, stuff that stops the damage from actually hitting you. Yeah, like, you know, they're not actually fogs, but they kind of are fogs because the damage is going other places. Uh, the original Gideon Jura would also qualify as a honorable mention because he can basically tell people to come at him as opposed to coming at you. Come at me, bro. Alrighty then. So, guys, I think it's finally time that we take things out to the outro. Want to hear? Want want to hear a funny side story? A friend of mine hit me up with an email, uh, not email, a text message about like two weeks ago, and it was like, "Hey, Calvin, I found this card, and I was wondering if you could help me figure out like some of the rulings on it and everything like that." And I was like, "All right, fine, sure, whatever it is." And you know, 
Joe, what's the card? And I was like, yeah. Calvin, have you ever heard of a card called Isochron Scepter? <laughs> <laughs> and, then he, and then he proceeds in the, e- in, in the text message to try to explain to me what an Isochron Scepter is and how it works. And asking me, does this card work with this? I was like, Dude, you have no idea. <laughs> So, this has been another edition of Undercast. We here at CommanderCast.com would love to tell you people that we are very, very appreciative of you coming out this evening to listen to us here as we talk to you about community strategy. And, but or, as or all good things, yeah, or as all good things, this too must come to an end. So, yeah. as the episode itself is beginning to end, I will have to now say thank you to everybody here who has come out. Thank you, Mark, Clay, and Willie. So, I thought I was going to do the outro. <laughs> well, that was like silky smooth, man. You can't redo that. <laughs> no, you can't redo it. Seems it. that the captain had other plans. Mm-hmm. The captain has the helm. Well, I'm taking it back. So All right. Mutiny. Oh, with that out of the way. Nope, nope, nope. Now Mutiny's that out of the way. Shit all uh, over it. Nope. We'll go right on over. Mutiny. Got our contact information. So if you want to reach nope, out, no, no, not happening, not happening. We're not Martin, doing it like that. Clay. No, I'm taking this so back Clay. over. I'm not gone yet. So Clay. No, so Clay. All right, guys, this exactly has been episode 251. I want to go ahead and thank all y'all for coming out today. Galvin, thanks for being here. William, you do realize I do still have edit power. I can just cut you completely off. <laughs> go ahead and try. <laughs> Clay, <laughs> Mark, exactly. Tell the listeners here how they may be able to contact you. <sighs> Would you like to let the listeners know how they can be able to... Where's the energy? Where's the fire? Well... I like uh, it. He's like doing it NPR style, man. If people want to get in contact with me, they can find me on Twitter, Reddit, or Gmail at EDHPanda. Um, My girlfriend and I have a joint Twitch account that also has an accompanying Twitter profile called Pandalpaca. Unfortunately, the internet at the place that we are this summer does not like streaming. Um... We try, I tried it once, and everything looked fine on my end, but apparently nothing was going through to the other end. So, unfortunately, we will have to put our streaming on hold until we move into our new place in August, because apparently Frontier Communications sucks, and our 2 megabit down speed is the fastest available in our neighborhood, even though elsewhere in the area code they have up to 60. So, yeah, um... We'll get back to streaming eventually. I really wish we could do it here, because I was going to do a lot of streaming this summer, and the internet just said, fuck you. So, keep an eye out. We'll keep you informed when that comes back up. Well, that's perfectly fine. I know that our listeners, and I myself, are looking forward to seeing you on stream in the near future, and hopefully your internet will be of the precise speed which you need to be able to provide us that content. And Agreed. speaking of providing us with something, Mark, how's about you provide us with your information? Well, Calvin, if listeners want to contact me, they can email me at mahlerma at gmail.com. My email address is at the bottom of the show notes. There we go. Now, Willie, would you like to let the listeners know how to reach out and contact the host of the show and owner of commandercast.com? Well, if you want more fire and brimstone and bluster and fluster than what Calvin's currently providing... You can go ahead and over to my Twitter, which is at BlueAm1409, or you can email me, wiehernandez at gmail.com. All right. So, listeners, if you are in the mood to reach out and touch the captain, it's very easy to do. All you have to do is go over to Twitter at Captain Redzone, or you can hit me up in an email at gmail at captainredzone at gmail.com. 
we here at Commander Cast love being contacted by you. This entire episode has been based on things that you, the listeners, have provided us, and we deep, deeply appreciate it. So if you want to be able to reach out, try to do what you can to help contribute the show. That also is extremely simple. All you have to do is go over to Twitter at CommanderCast, or you can hit us up with an email and Gmail at CommanderCast at gmail.com. You can also go over to CommanderCast.com comment on the If you happen to have iTunes, you can go ahead and give us a five-star rating. And if you have a five-star rating, you can see it. We will read it off on the show right about now. So, William, do we have any five-star ratings? No, we don't, although we were supposed to. It's weird because people have gotten into contact with me on the Twitters, and I keep checking the iTunes, but I just don't see them. People, if you That's want up. to leave the five-star reviews on the iTunes sto- store, remember to look for the MTG Cast branch that leads into Commander Cast and leave your reviews there. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to see them. All right. And also, if you happen to be an Android user, you can go right ahead and find Commander Cast on Stitcher. We also have various other shows that come up on the site that will also be posted to Stitcher. You can see Rivals Duel. You can go ahead and see the latest episodes of the stack, Coast to Coast Commander, and any other future podcasts that have to come out on the Commander Cast Network. Now, dear listeners, we here at Commander Cast do appreciate each and every single one of you. And we would like to let you know that if you want to help support the show, and you want to help support the site, that's very easy to do. You can go over to patreon.com for Commander Cat. We have many and various tiers. In fact, this entire episode, as noted, has been provided for us by listeners who have donated to $3 or higher. Now, if you don't want to donate $3, it's perfectly understandable. We have lower tiers. We have just a tip. Ladies and gentlemen, a single dollar. You can slide that bad boy right in there, and we will accept it all the way through. And if you want to put a little extra, a little more, we have a little, a second dollar. We have a second tier for $2. is a little bit extra. If you want to be extra generous. Now, we here at CommandCast.com would love to tell each and every single member of our network that we deeply, deeply appreciate each and every single one of them and the content that they provide for us. The music for our show is the X-Men's Heavy Metal Series by 331 Rock. You can check them out on YouTube and support this Patreon as well. So, with that, this particular episode has now come to you. So we will see you again soon with more, more strategy and, of course, more technology. But until then, we will let you... to that whatsoever. What the actual hell? But I'm doing what I can to soothe the lips. I want them to feel yes. deep inside their ear holes. Feel me? I know you. Ah, just like that. Just, just take that to your brothers. A little bit closer. Just a little closer. A little bit closer. Yeah, now you can hear. Oh, how's that feel? You feel the vibration in my voice as I whisper to you inside, deep inside you. I am now uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
I just oh. wanted to put my hand up and say that. Yeah. Like, pause, stop, everybody. Nope. In the Sorry. Nope. Nope. I've, re- I've reached my comfortable limit. <laughs> I am overloaded with sexual innuendo and wish it would stop. Hmm. Okay. I then. mean, you need to get your fix somehow, Mark. You're not in school anymore. That's. I'm. I am now doubly uncomfortable. <laughs> oh man, that was. Okay, so gentlemen, now that we're officially in the dangly bits episode, dangles. What do we have to talk about this particular week that you gentlemen have been particular part participating in? As a particular. Well, the biggest thing is probably the reason why we didn't record the past couple of weeks, which is Origins Game Fair, which was really, really awesome. I was. <laughs> we packed every. So we were vend- the official vendor for Bushy Road. Which meant that we were. Damn it, William. I thought you were going to say we packed it in. No, no, no. We were packing it into the truck. So. No, no, he stopped. He stopped just short of saying it, so I couldn't edit it. But he said it again, so I can now say I can edit that part if I choose. So Back we weren't in. actually allowed to sell, like, Magic or you or anything else that we actually sell to Sora or some of those Splendor board games that we wanted to move at Origins. But we did get to move a lot of Bushy Road products. So Tuesday was basically a packing day. It took us, like, five hours, five, maybe six hours to get everything packed into a U-Haul, which. I had never driven a U-Haul before, but there's a first time for everything. I got to drive the U-Haul. <laughs> I got to drive the U-Haul there. I got to drive back to the rental place. When we were packing everything up to bring back to the store, I had to go get the U-Haul again, bring it back. And, you know, I didn't get to work every day at Origins. I was there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. The Wednesday and Thursday, I was at the store opening new product because there was a new Vanguard set that came out that week. So we had to open mm. over six cases, which is like a hundred and... Close to 106 boxes. <laughs> My fingers hurt after that. It took us a whole day to open all the products. A whole day to try and sort it as cleanly as we could. On Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I actually got to check out... Well, Friday, I wasn't working until the afternoon. So I got to check out all the cool stuff. They had a lot of cool game demos. There were, miniatures are getting really elaborate these days. Like, I saw one where they had biplanes on, like, these tall plastic sticks so that you could have, you know, miniature airplane battles. You know, they had the huge tables that, you know, for their, for their miniature ship battles. And these, to scale replica sizes of, like, farmhouses and cities and stuff like that, I'm looking at these going, how long do these take again? Just, wow, those miniature things. But they also had a lot of really cool other stuff, too. You know, I really wanted to try a lot of the game demos, but I was just kind of wandering around by myself, and I didn't really want to play with people that I didn't really know. If I had, like, two or three friends to do some of those demos with, it would have been a lot of fun, but that's probably something I can do with my girlfriend next year. I did, however, pick up a Memento, and... Mark, have you ever seen one of those, uh, spin rings? Um, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a ring that has, like, another ring on the outside, so you just give it a mm-hmm. flick and it rolls. I got a D20 mm-hmm. spin ring, and it's fantastic. That sounds actually pretty sweet. Yeah, like, it gives me a little something to just mess around with when I'm feeling antsy or whatever, but it also means I ha- can stop digging through my bag for dice every time I just need to figure out who goes first. There you go. Like, that actually sounds like it would work way better when playing, like, the game of life. Because I hate that little spin ring in the game of life, man. The sucker never really goes all the way around. Yeah, I think it actually would be. And they come in, like, different styles, too. Like, I got a D20, but I'm sure they have, like, D6s and D10s and stuff like that. And then they've also got versions that have, like, a click. So you can use them as, like, counters. You can use it as, like, a very small life counter or something like that. Hmm. They've also got one for, like, rock, paper, scissors. And then they've got another one for rock, paper, scissors, lizard, Spock. Which I thought was, which I thought was really cute. Uh, the thing for me is, like, if I had that, 
I would probably want to get two of the D20 clickable ones, and then you can put one on both fingers and use them to keep your life total tracking. That would be sick. But then what if you want to gain life? Then you just add another ring. Were you talking like a... Wait, what if they had... I mean, I know this is even before before I was alive, believe it or not. But, like, the old, like, Little Orphan Annie decoder rings, like, from A Christmas yeah. Story. Like, what if that was your life... What if that was your life level? All right, the so little 20-sided thing on the click? I'm actually going to link you into the, uh, the message chat thing. It's called CritSuccess.com. And the cool thing about the ring that I got, the salesperson told me that it comes with a lifetime guarantee. So if I want to, it actually comes with uh, some uh, changeable options. Like if I decide like a few months from now that I actually don't like this color, I can actually use a special promo code I got when I bought the ring, send it back in, and I can exchange it for a different color. Or if I need to get it like resized or something like that. Like if I, right now I've got it on my middle finger because that's the easiest way for me to flick it one-handedly. But I won't that's very cool. But if I wanted to get it like a size smaller so it would fit my ring finger, or if I did want to go bigger and put it on my index, then I could go ahead and do that too. If it ever chips or breaks or anything like that, I can send it in for a replacement. Oh, snap! They have a chainmail dice bag. Yeah, they've got a lot of cool stuff on that website. I would spend too much money on here. That's well, what, what William's really saying is, is that once this call is over, I'm going to be going to the site finding some random... Uh, stuff from it that I'm going to end up purchasing and I'm going to come back and I'm going to tell William how much I hate him for giving me this site. But see, the kicker <laughs> here is that I actually took a bunch of, I took all my uh, my bulk commons and odd com- commons to Origins, went to a vendor, I think I went to probably Cool Stuff Inc. And I just unloaded it there and what they gave me just $18 and that was my pocket money for the convention. I had like a couple bucks left over in my wallet. So when I saw that the ring was like $20, I did a little looking around to see what else was in there. But it's like, you know, I've had my eye on one of these spin rings for a couple of years now. I think it's actually time I can just get one. So I just love this site because it only sells, it has five categories of things. Dice rings, counter rings, chain mail, canes, and gift cards. <laughs> like that's, I, w- I will purchase things from this site now. I don't, <laughs> I don't really need anything else in my life. Seems like a good spread of things. The cane is just like a pimp cane with a giant D20 on the handle. Yep, and you can actually get multiple <laughs> spin rings on that cane. Like, they have those at the uh, display booth. I don't know if you can actually put rings on it or not when you get one, but what they had at the display booth was they had one of those pimp canes with the D20 on it, and they had different rings on the cane so that they could show off the different models. Yep. Yep. See, the pimp Damn. cane The pimp cane for me would be sweet. Like, wait, does the D20 on top of the pimp cane, is it just the handle, or can it actually be rolled? Or spin. It's I don't just, think you can actually it, roll that. Thing. It's attached to the cane. You can't actually roll it. Now, see what they need to do, and this is just like you know, if, they, if any of them are listening, you know, find a way to put kind of like a little protective orb around it. So this way, you can just like take the D20, put your finger on, it, and just flick it, and then inside the cane, it just rolls. There we go. All right, I can support that. Yep. And the great thing is that taking care of it is actually super easy. Like they tell you, like don't get like hand soap or anything else like that. Like actually take it off when you start washing your hands. But if it ever gets like stuck or it stops spinning smoothly, you just put it into like some soapy, uh, some uh, dish soapy water, and you just grind it against wherever it's getting stuck, and it starts spinning again really smoothly. Hmm. And I love the sound it makes; it just rings in your ear. I can kind of feel you playing with it now. It yes. rings in your ear. Rings. Someone uh just posted on the uh, Commander Cast page about getting a cast to uh hate on Ulrich. Wait, what? 
Okay, I'm taking a look at this. Looks like some. Uh, let's get an Ulrich hatred cast going. I need someone to voice all my anger about him for an hour. I like Ulrich. <laughs> Like what, is wrong with, what is wrong with Ulrich, man? They've yeah. been waiting for a damn werewolf commander forever. He fights on one maybe, side, maybe, he busts on the other. Maybe he doesn't it's even because, suck that bad. Maybe it's because he's not a lord? He's not Munda. Like, fucking Fumunda Cheese was like the worst goddamn commander I've seen in years. And Sean Patchett loves does him. Something, you know? Oh yeah, Mark, did you hear that? You weren't here for the episode where Sean Patchett loves Munda. No. He does. No. Sean's like one of the smartest dudes who's ever been on this cast. Source like, how can, how can this Source Pile loves Munda. That's not, I don't, I refuse to believe this. I mean, he's I one of the smartest I'm, people on the cast, so he obviously knows something about Munda. I can't, I can't, I don't know, I think my head's going to explode. I, I can't deal with that. Okay. I might have to, now I need to, but I don't want to go back and listen to that episode. So, Mark, <laughs> what have you been doing with your summer? Um... What have I been doing my summer? Paperwork, man. That's pretty much about it. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's been super un I don't I don't think I could claim that any part of this is unexciting. I go to a lot of meetings, um, I file paperwork. And uh yeah, the exciting life of an English teacher, man. And then afterwards he goes and hits up Netflix. Mm, yeah. I do have to say I have to wrap up Daredevil season two. I have not done that yet. I've only seen a yeah couple of episodes just because I actually haven't spent time at home. Yeah, there's But I have vacation next week. Like, uh, I'm not going to use at all to watch any of Daredevil. No, I'm going to set aside some time. Actually, one. Of the, let's see. I have a support group on Monday, but I'm actually planning on going to a shooting range with a friend. He's going to teach me how to shoot. Sweet. Good life skills. Yeah. Shooting is fun. See, I just have to make sure. Actually, if I go with my coworker's fiance, apparently he ha- has like a, a pass where if he goes Monday through Friday, he can bring two for yes. So I'm gonna see if I can get cool. that. Do you not need your pistol permit in Ohio? Uh, probably not. probably not for a shooting range type thing. You definitely need one to own a gun, but probably not on the shooting range. It depends. Connecticut's kind of a pain in the butt. Like, I'd like to take my wife. Even if you're shooting long guns, the most of the ranges require you to have a pistol permit. So. Even though you don't need a pistol permit to own a long gun, but whatever. So, Clay, what have you been up to? Aside from playing Overwatch. I've been at home. Um, Just been chilling out. Um, Mallory has been visiting for a while. Um, Been uh, maintenancing fish tanks like I was last year and the year before that. And playing a lot of Magic. but what Clay's really saying is that technically he should be the host of the show because he's played more magic than all three of us combined. That's yeah, that's because I can just However, I don't know if I am charismatic enough to take on the role of host. <laughs> uh, you never know until you try, buddy. <laughs> ah, it's less about what? charisma and just more about having people that you can talk to on a regular basis about stuff. Yeah. And things. And things. And stuff. All right, and Calvin, aside from the new job, what have you been up to? Uh, mostly, I've been spending almost every other waking moment of my existence either watching YouTube videos about various, like, video games and stuff, or playing Clicker Heroes, which is probably <laughs> one of the dumbest games I've ever gotten myself addicted <laughs> to. This sounds familiar. What is it? Uh, basically, this... A bunch of creatures that pop up on your screen, and you have to tap on the screen. And when you tap on the screen, it deals damage to them, and then they die. 
And then after they die, a bigger, more powerful, life-gained creature shows up. And you have to tap on him till he dies. And you repeat this process over and over and over and over and over this again. This is the fucking cookie gang! The cookie what? Game? Cookie which, game? Which cookie game? The cookie what clicker. Cookie? What about it? It's just like that. It's one of those stupid clicker games that you can't put down because you just keep clicking on to try and do, like, a thing. But then you can't. And so you oh, spend, like, an hour clicking cookies. Yep, something along that line. Yeah, and with uh, clicker heroes, after you've gained up enough gold, you can use the gold to purchase the alliance of other heroes who will attack creatures for you when you're not around. So, like, right now, while I'm on the phone and I'm doing the podcast, I have, like, an army of, like, 50 heroes who are just beating the shit out of monsters for me. And when I go back, I'm going to have a ton of gold, which I will then use to purchase and upgrade those heroes. And then eventually I will get... uh one of I, this is Greek, no, not like this is like Egyptian god who has this ability, and it's called Ascension. And basically, what it does is it pretty much restarts the game all the way back to level one. And now the name that the reason that this effect seems like it's I mean when you think about it, it sounds kind of stupid. And you just, you just spent like the last week of your life clicking away, getting up to level four hundred and whatever the fuck, right? Why the hell would you start back at one? That's because with certain monsters you kill, they end up getting these monster souls. And the only way to redeem those monster souls is to ascend the world. And then once you redeem the monster souls, those can be then used to purchase relics, which give you these abilities that transcend worlds when you do ascend them. And the relics either, you know, like all your heroes get an additional 25% of attack during their time frame, or you collect 100% more gold, or... You may you maintain this particular character, and, and and basically it just rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, with no end at all in sight anywhere. There is no end to this game. It just, in, in fact, I actually looked at the chart on it, and it's got like it basically has like your typical numbers, like hundreds, thousands, millions, billions, trillions, zillions, and stuff. But then at a certain point on the chart, it just stops counting numbers, and it just has the plus sign with a lot as far as your gold is concerned. So I look at it as my end goal is to reach a lot at one point or another. And once I've reached a lot, I think that will be when I just stop playing. Unless, of course, I decide to ascend the world again and go back to level one and try to reach a lot again. So you guys know the stereotype of cats, like, sitting on keyboards and stuff? I think Mark knows that better than anyone else. Yes, that's not a stereotype. So Mallory is over on the bed with her lap desk, like, browsing the Steam sale. And Poe gets up on the bed and literally just, like, sits down on her chest, on her face, <laughs> and won't move. Welcome to cats. They're furry little Luke assholes. says, welcome to cats. See, here's the point where I would end up something. saying something, but you know what? Uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to start off episode 251 talking about uh, dirty vagina-based jokes. No, because this is a classy show. Who am I to say anything about what it would be like to have pussy sitting on my face? Alright, so for the actual show itself today, we will be, in fact, be doing... I switched the, uh, the the community strategy around a little bit because I felt like this felt a little better. For community, I wanted to do the lobotomy effects. Like, is it okay and how viable is it to run lobotomy effects? Like, Praetor's Graphs, Extracting Green Totem. And then, yeah. And then strategy is going to be the three ways to build a commander. And technology, we got top fives. Are we actually building around a commander? Uh, building around a commander, kind of, yeah. And more discussing the archetypes and what kind of cards you would include in, to kind of differentiate them. Okay. 
Do we have a specific commander? Uh, like, we go on the Laurel? This is one of those things that I would have liked to have worked out ahead of time if I had actually not been so busy and therefore distracted. Like, a Laurel would be the obvious one, just because that's what War suggested, and I guess you could build a Laurel a couple different ways, but he's not necessarily the one I think of. We could go super timely and talk about the new werewolf commander. Um... <laughs> as long as we're throwing theory craft around anyway. Let's see. Wait, werewolf commander? Yeah, man! New one just got spoiled a couple days ago. Eldritch Moon. R- remind me again uh, what Melvin is. Melvin is the... I care less about the... I don't care about flavor, I care about the mechanics. Right. Okay, so it's the opposite of Orthos. Yeah, yep. it's the opposite of, of Orthos, and in fact, they really shouldn't be lumped together as far as archetypes, because Orthos and Melvin are not exclusive to the other three. Yeah. So I'm actually just going to... I'm, I mean, they're Because dem- I'm trying to think of a commander with, like, a stereotypical build, but could be built into any of Actually, you know those. what? Let's see. I've seen Kalia built a couple different ways. Like, there's the... There's a more aggressive route you can build her, but then I've also seen lists that use her as a finisher for Mardu control. And then there's also, like, a a reanimator version that you can play. Because I'm trying to think of, like... One of the easiest ways that we could at least differentiate um, Timmy and Spike would be, say, Scion of the Ur-Dragon where it stereotypically can be built as super degenerate hermit druid, but you can also just build dragon tribal. Well, there's also the aspect that you would build it as a... Um, move on, the first thing you end up grabbing with him is Nicol Bolas, or uh, that freaking Devil Striker Hellkai Tyrant, something like that. Yeah. Not Hellkai Tyrant, uh... Dragon Tyrant? Whichever one. Let's see... Uh, I feel I feel like there was a precon command that came out actually recently that's been built a couple different ways. I'm trying to remember which one it was. Like was it? It wasn't Marath. See, Revy's got a couple of different builds. Like Anafenza? No. Oh wait, no, she's not a precon. No, but... no, no. Although the cons aren't also not a bad choice. Like those are pretty flexible. Those are. Actually those are pretty flexible. Uh, let's see. I like Animar for flexibility. I've seen like a billion different Animar builds. Animar actually is a very good idea, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we can go with Animar. That can work. Like, what would an Animar control deck look like? What would an Animar aggro deck look like? There's Animar combo, which quite a few people know about. There's Animar morph, Animar Eldrazi. Yeah. Okay, we can go with Animar. So we're going with Animar. Yep. All right. Not Oluru. Not Oluru. Animar. Oluru. Animar. All right, then. We've got our themes. So... Ah, uh, Clay took Arachnogenesis. Yes, I took Spider Fog. Spider Fog, Spider Fog, whatever a Spider Fog does. I'm actually going to dig through my fog with that. I've got quite a few. One of them really good in the target. I'll let you guys know what it is when I find it. it. No one put down Spore Frog yet? 
Oh, man. I was about to put down Sporefrog, actually. Yeah. Taking Arachnogenesis, Moon that, Mist, and Constant Mists. But that's actually in the same line as Comic Fall Soap, so I'm going to talk about them together. Yeah, they are kind of yeah. identical. Yep, one's just green, one's just white, and I put One of them goes to Zidmarin, the other one can't. And both of them go <laughs> in Carador. Yes. Alright then. <clears throat> so, three, two, one. Blue. All right, then. Is someone eating string cheese in the background? Oh, no, no. I'm cracking open a new pack of sleeves. Oh, all right. I bought a new trial deck for Luck and... I bought... In, uh, there's a game that just came out from Bushiro called Luck and Logic, and I'm slaving up a trial deck. Oh. Yep, it's actually... Let's see, we oh, got... Oh, no, not, not that. Something else. But oh. also that. Okay. Because we were... <laughs> oh, no, no. Not what you're interested in. No, no, no. Fuck that. <laughs> under, under the Steam sale, Water Bears VR requires HTC Vive to play. Free trapped water bears by rerouting, remixing, and redirecting water flows in a frolicking 3D environment. That sounds like it could be dirty. See, I want to try that game where you're a cat and you're trying to knock everything over. <laughs> Dude, get get a VR support and cat lateral damage would be amazing. Wait, wait, wait. You save yourself $800 and buy a fucking cat. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's Mark, that's Mark. That's the game, man. <laughs> Mark, you don't save $800 when you buy a cat. That's actually just what you're going to pay for all the shit he breaks. That is true. Yeah. Like when, when we moved into my new house, my 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 wife decided she wanted to put all this shit, like all these nice pictures and stuff, up on our mantelpiece. That was the last time she did that. So. But yeah. but have you tried out a VR rig? No, man. Because I'm, I'm not made. I'm not made of gold. <laughs> no, dude. Do you do you happen to have like a Windows store or something nearby? I don't think so. Yeah. I was. I, maybe if I do, I have no idea. So. Because uh, the one Googly. near my place has an HTC Vive demo set up, and it's really cool. Mm. Why am I always... I This is where my fucking mind goes for that shit. I am always afraid that I'm going to go right behind the dude who got pink eye. Like, I, I'm always I'm always worried about that shit. It doesn't touch the, your eyes. I'm just saying, man. I don't know. I'm, like, scarred. The very first time I ever went in a hot tub, I got, like, a skin infection on my, on my back. Well, that's a hot tub. <laughs> I know, but like, okay, granted, one is like a bubbling cauldron of disease, which some people find nice and relaxing, but whatever. And then another is a thing you put on your eyes right after someone else just put it on their eyes. I don't know, man. I mean, I know it's not eyeballs, but still. The part that Mark isn't telling you, Clay, is is that the hot pool, he was the first person in, and yet somehow, magically, the pool was like, (laughs) God, Mark through its own, like, infestation of diseases just to fuck with him. It's messed up, man. You know, I still don't like hot tubs because of that reason. That actually just sounds awful. It was. It was gross. Staph infections? Not fun. Now, here's the question for you, Mark. If you got into a hot tub and it gave you a staph infection, but it also was a time machine, would you sacrifice the staph infection so you could be able to go back in time? Hmm. If I could go back in time and tell myself not to get in the hot tub and get the staph infection, the answer is yes. <laughs> Paradoxes. Dun, dun, dun. Speaking of which, have you watched Primer yet? What? Primer? Primer! I told you like a million years ago, Calums. I know how much you like time travel movies. What, it's on Netflix. Yeah, it's just called Primer. Yeah, that's the one with the people who invent a time machine in a garage and they have to like sleep for like certain hours and go back in time. Yeah, that one. The one you need like yeah, a I... diagram and like a fucking flow chart to understand. Yeah, yeah I've watched that. Yeah, that thing's messed I, up. I, like, like I, I watched that movie. I went, went online, did some, like, went through diagrams, 
watch YouTube videos about the diagram. <laughs> watched that, like, you know, like, got a good interpretation of it. Went back, rewatched the movie, and I was like, you know what? I like this movie's amazing. Yep. Yeah. You definitely need to have it, like, explained to you. Yep. My favorite Chester's part cap. Of there you my go. My favorite part about uh, Primer Chester's was when, cap, um, when they started getting to the point making the little time machines in, every, in other places. <laughs> yeah, and, like, the storage shed and shit. Yeah. It's like, like hey, I'm going to turn my closet into a time machine. I was like, you know what? <laughs> I love how they accidentally make one, too. They're just like, eh, fuck it, we're trying to make a fridge. Whoops, time machine. That's like my favorite part. It's almost like a hot tub time machine. God, that was stupid. You know what this microwave needs? A flux capacitor. (laughs) Boom! See, that's how we get things cold. Yep. We go back in time before they were hot. Yeah. Man, whatever happened to, like, just a toll booth. Like, you get a little car, you get your toll booth. Time travel that way. Well, I guess that was less time travel and more spatial travel. Yes. Okay. I got that reference. Thank you, Steve Rogers. Good night. Alliteration. I remember seeing someone mainboarding that in Standard a while back. Holy shit. Will, you forgot to put in the card you put in your Kalia deck. Hide Seek. I mean... That's like my favorite one, man, because no one ever fucking reads the seek part. I mean, double split cards always read weirdly on the um, the WordPress thing. You're out. You actually are just right, though. You are just right. It's the best. It really is. Like I, I don't think there's been a single split card for the guilds that ha- from that original set oh, that no, is playable. Sweet. Seek is so good. That's actually. I wish it had few. So that you could tuck their dark steel forge and then go find it. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> if it had fuse, but sadly, all the old ones don't. Yeah, you know. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. What's so Project Echo? Oh, head games. Head <laughs> games. <laughs> I guess that kind of counts. It's that's kind of that's hand manipulation. That's hand. Lobotomy. No, but it's funny. Oh, there we go. Memory side. There's also teacher's turn. Never ending torment. Aww. Only thing I basically would have like chimed in today was is that uh, as of this particular coming Saturday, I have now officially found a new full time job as a dental assistant. Woo! Hey, sweet! Congrats. So I'll, yeah, so I'll finally be working out five days a week. But uh, more than like awesome. seven days you've been working now. Jesus. Hmm? More than like the seven something days you've been working now. Ah, oh, no, like, you've been gone for a moment. I was unemployed, gone, went to a Ooh. 10th agency, only working for a few days here and there. Life has Ooh. hit me hard. Right I'm in the sorry, ball. But it's all right, though, because you know what? I care less. I've got my job going. I'm going to get my money saved up. I'm going to get my life back on track one way or the other. And whatever hey, the result of life is, is whatever it ends up. Because you know what? In the end, we all end up going to the same dirt plot anyhow. Except for me, because I'm going to be cremated and turned into water. Because I came in through birth, and I'm leaving out through fire. That's how the captain <laughs> I'm pretty sure if everyone's being dumped into the same grave plot, we've got another black death on us. Man, oh, yeah. I, I love how that started out real sad and ended like Conan the fucking Barbarian. That was awesome. <laughs> so, uh, what was it? Have you guys heard of uh, Dead by Daylight? No, I haven't. Yes. Have you, have you heard of the new Friday 13th video game that will be coming out soon? Yes. 
Okay. Now, here's a random dangle that I just kind of wanted to toss out there. Okay. With this, like, basically, uh, William, Clay, and any listeners who happen to be hearing this don't know, Dead by Daylight is a PC game where you can play on one of two teams. Team one is a single player, and you're a monster playing through first-person view. And it's Wait, your job. I think I have heard of this. Yes, and it's your job to kill the survivors. Team two is a group of regular human survivors, and your job is to restart generators, which is plus one equal to the number of people in your party. So if you're playing with two people, you have to regenerate, you have to fix three generators, playing four, five, and so on. Now, the premise here is, is that once the survivors get all the generators up, the generators open these electrically um, rigged metal doors, which will allow them to escape. So Team 2's job is to fix generators and escape the area that they're locked in, and Team 1, A.E., the one-player monster, it's his job to kill them before they leave. Ooh, Are we all on the same page? He's typing adventures on sale. Yes. So we're all on the same page as far as yes, uh, Friday right, yep. so Friday the 13th there's another game that would be coming out soon and it basically runs on the same premise you get to play as Jason Voorhees there's other team are camp counselors it's their job to try to find a way to hide and escape before Jason murders their faces off in whatever random circumstance or whatever it's going to be and basically it's potentially going to end up playing the same way now after seeing and finding out after I personally found out about these particular games and how popular they are expected to be and how popular Dead by Daylight is slowly becoming. First thing that came to my mind was, damn, I wonder if Wizards knew these games were coming out. Because if they were, they would potentially be thinking about redoing Arch Enemy. Hmm. I, just can't, I don't know. Arch Enemy, I always thought, had potential. I think they fucked it up, but I think, right. I think it, was it, it had potential. Well, the thing, for, the thing I'm looking towards it as is, if Arch Enemy were to take a hint from these particular games, it's not your goal to kill the Arch Enemy. It would be your goal to complete some type of task or group of tasks before the Arch Enemy kills you. Yeah, like have like, I don't know, like a Helix Pinnacle effect or something, like a, you win the game, X number of counters or blah, 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 blah you know. Right. Yeah. I would, it, I would yeah, think like, that would be kind of interesting. Right. And, like, instead of, like, the schemes being what they are, it could be, like, some, like, you know, the Arch Enemy would get, like, three or four cards, like, one card plus the players equal, like, equal the number of players. So it's like, yeah, you got four, you got four players, so the Arch Enemy plays five cards or whatever. Mm-hmm. And each one of those five cards has a particular task that the players have to uh, accomplish before the Arch Enemy can actually kill them from the game. So it's like, yeah, there's five cards here. Right, like, there's three players here, so we have four cards. One, we have to collectively gain over 200 life points. Two, we have to do, well, I don't know, like 300 points, like 200 points of damage to the arch enemy collectively. Three, do whatever, like, I don't know, assemble the legion and have some, like, combo cards that need to be put together, and then four be something else. And then if a team of three players can accomplish those four goals before the arch enemy drops their life total from point zero, they win. With the arch yeah. enemy basically having, like, infinite life. If you had to assemble the station combo before the arch enemy killed you, I would totally play that game and nothing else. Yeah, but you see, that's what I'm saying. Like, it seems like one of those things where this seems like something that if Wizards were to put a little effort towards, that they can kind of redo arch enemy. And See, kind of out, and you know, kind of make it a little bit like you know more fun, as opposed to like yeah, kill the arch enemy. Have you, if anybody besides me, obviously, ever played the Lord of the Rings board game, the Lord of the Rings uh, collectible, not collectible card game, but living card game? I think that Fantasy Flight put out. Nope. Nope, I have not. Nope. All right, so they do something kind of similar, sort of, except that there's like it's almost like playing Horde. 
um, where like the arch enemies is the horde, but you don't have to kill it. You don't have to like kill a deck of cards like you do in horde. You just have to accomplish different tasks. And like along the way, like the horde, uh, the, the horde deck, I think they call it the, like the encounter deck or something like it flips creatures off the top and you collectively have to come together to kill the creatures. But your object, your objective isn't necessarily to kill the creatures. In fact, most of the time it's not. It's to do something else. It's to, like, collect, you know, like, the ring or rescue this other character while you're, like, running the fuck away from all these other creatures or just, like, putting enough space between you. Like, the creatures are an impediment to your task, but they're not the the end goal of your task. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of like that what you're talking about with Arch Enemy. I would like to see him revisit it. I honestly don't think I don't I don't think Wizards has the chops to do that, though. Like you would need to pull in like a board game company. Well, you know what? That actually sounds you know? like a good topic to have for one of those days where we pump out a bunch of episodes. We can have a community. What would we do to fix Arch Enemy? Boom. Yep. All right. So, All right. So put this a pin. Throw it out there. All right. It's so, in the dangle. Yep. So put a pin in it. We'll come back to that someday. Someday <clears throat> over the rainbow. A topic based on Arch Enemy. Okay then. Calvin sings show tunes. Calvin watch musicals. Medicast.com.